you're listening to Popular Education Radio. My name is Tammy, and I am delighted that you're listening. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Nancy Altman, the president of Social Security Works, which is an organization that aims to protect and improve the economic security of disadvantaged and at-risk populations, safeguard the economic security of those dependent now or in the future on Social Security, and maintain Social Security as a vehicle of social justice. In 2017, Nancy Altman was appointed by Democratic House Leader Nancy Pelosi to join Social Security Advisory Board, a bipartisan, independent federal government agency established in 1997. This board advises the President, Congress, and the Commissioner of Social Security. On today's interview with Nancy Altman, we'll be discussing the long-awaited STEMI package, or as most people like to call it, the CARES Act. We'll be discussing how the current administration is making it difficult for Social Security beneficiaries to get their full payments. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Tammy. This is Popular Education Radio. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can hit me up on the email, uh, populareducationradio at gmail.com, or on social media, Instagram page, Popular Education Radio. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Without further ado, here's my interview with Nancy Altman. I mean, it's really ridiculous what the government's doing in terms of getting these checks out. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? So, as you know, the Congress passed what they called the CARES Act, which provided $1,200 to everyone with incomes, $20,000, or less, and phases out above that. Um, and any of those people who have uh, dependent children get an additional $500 for each child. Now, the easiest people for the government to send those funds to are people that they're already sending monthly benefits to, which are Social Security beneficiaries, security income recipients, and veterans who receive veterans benefits. The Trump administration initially said it's going to have to go online if you don't pay taxes and file a non-tax filer form which is crazy because very low income aren't going to be filing taxes. So we pushed back against that and succeeded, and they reversed themselves. But the $500 payment, they still won't pay automatically. You still have to file. And at this point, the deadline they set has come and gone. And so even though these are supposed to be emergency payments, they won't be received until 2021. How did all of this get so, so out of hand? How did it snowball like this? It's a really good question, and I sort of snarkily say it's not clear whether it's incompetence or mean-spiritedness or both, and I think, unfortunately, that it's it's both. The It is a big undertaking to send um, these payments out, but the federal government can certainly handle it, um, and my attitude is, given what's happening in this country, given the emergency, given that they're providing $500 billion to the largest corporations, that they should be getting these payments out and not worried, uh, you know, making sure they get them out. And if somebody gets a little bit more than they were intended to get, so be it. You might be able to get that back later or just let it go. But instead, the Trump administration is making it hardest and the most vulnerable, those who are of the lowest income and 
likely need these funds the most. You chair, or I guess you were the president of the Social Security Works. And how did that organization advocate for all of us, pretty much? Yes. I mean, we advocate for protecting Social Security and expanding it. And we're working for current beneficiaries, but future beneficiaries as well, which is why we want to expand it for those who are will be retiring or drawing on Social Security in the future. So we we focus on a range of issues. We chair a broad-based coalition that involves the lead, that includes the leading seniors organizations, women's organizations, organizations representing people with disabilities, representing working families, representing low income, and many, many others. And in this particular case, when we were just assuming the funds would go automatically to Social Security beneficiaries and SSI recipients and veterans because the money goes out automatically. The government already has within it all of the information it needs to provide these payments. Um, But the initial word out of the Trump administration was, nope, all these people, if they don't file tax returns, despite the fact that these are people who are most affected by the coronavirus are most important for them to social distance, meaning that they really won't be able to have family come and help them with the form. They may not have computers. Public libraries are closed. Even so, the Trump administration was saying, too bad, they have to come in if they're going to get their money. So we alerted Congress to this, started making, expressing concern, wrote letters, developed petitions, and members of Congress wrote, Democratic members wrote as well. And fortunately, the administration shifted position. But then the next thing we heard was the Trump administration said, but if you want to get benefits for your children or grand, you know, dependents, you have to file by 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern time on Wednesday. So that was just a little over 24 hours that people had. First of all, the word had to go out, and then people had to be able to go online. And there are lots of problems with the online form. Um, it's supposed to be for people with disabilities, but it's not 508 compliant. It's hard for people who have visual readers. It doesn't appear to work. So that, and I'm so appreciative of having this interview because that's the next fight. The First, we fought to get automatic payments paid to the adults who get Social Security benefits, and that we won on. Now the fight is to get automatic payments to those who receive Social Security and SSI and have children, and that is is the new struggle. And again, it shouldn't be a struggle because the administration already has the information they need. They're paying these benefits not only to workers who are disabled, but to their children every single month. Slew of red tape and bureaucracy. And, you know, the thing that they say is, well, you know, Washington is the worst because of all the bureaucracy and the red tape. But this is people's lives. This is a global pandemic. Have you heard any other countries facing this type of red tape and bureaucracy? No, it's quite the opposite. And even in this country, you know, they, they've they been able to get out the, the funds right away to businesses. We've seen some businesses that have said they're returning the money. They've already got the money. The Some of these um, large chains that have applied for funds and, and got the funds and 
now that it's become public and they're being embarrassed about it, the, the funds are getting going back. So there are two things that are going on. One is that when people in charge of the government are people who want to break the government, they will break the government. And, you know, we've got apparently a dog breeder who was put in charge of the whole pandemic response in January, or, you know, as soon as we, the administration started dealing with it in this winter. And we have um, very hardworking civil servants who want to do the right thing, but we've got political leaders on top of them who are just unsympathetic, who do not like government. Their ideology is is government's the problem. Of course, now government is the solution, but it's hard to when you've been pushing that. So that's that's the um, incompetence part. But I think also it's a matter of priorities that this administration is concerned about big business, concerned about donors to their political campaign, and not about all of the millions of Americans who find themselves out of work, unable to pay their bills, unable to put food on the table. You know, that's uh, an interesting contrast that you mentioned how these big businesses are, they're getting the money that they need. Meanwhile, the individual American does not. Personally, on a personal level, uh, my mother is an immigrant. She's now a, a citizen. She's been naturalized. But when she was trying to read the unemployment form, uh, she couldn't she couldn't fully understand it because of the language barrier. It's kind of uh, difficult to try to do all of this stuff remotely. Um, how has the immigrant community been affected by all of this? You know, my heart goes out to the immigrant community the most because they have been so demonized by this administration. And now they are confronting, as we all are, a pandemic. Um, we've got Lots of immigrants who work in the healthcare field, who work in nursing homes, who are essential workers. On top of it, you've got um, the Trump administration insisting on calling this the China virus, which makes no sense. You know, viruses are are microscopic entities that uh, don't um, respect the borders of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got apparently a rise in um, assaults against. Asian Americans. So anything that middle class white Americans are confronting, people of color are confronting even more so, and immigrants even more so than that. Generally, in times of national emergency, we all bind together. You know, when World War II, we, we, everyone went to war. In Vietnam, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, the the um, we didn't ask people you know what are you from a blue state or red state we all bind together and that generally is what happens and that should be happening in this case because as I say the the virus doesn't discriminate and um, and yet you've got Mitch McConnell talking about blue state bailout which is outrageous um, you've got this hatred being focused against immigrants and particularly those of Asian background it's not the America I think most of us know and most of us want. I think it also gets translated with this assistant check that um, people are getting. Now, what is the the stipulation as far as people who are immigrants with green cards, people who are undocumented, and so on? Because everyone seems to be getting affected by this differently. That's right. Um, the again, this was I think again 
mean-spirited and short-sighted because if you're in this country and you're forced to shelter in place, you want everyone to get the medical care they need. We, we see the real gaps in the system with not having paid sick leave, not having um, paid family leave, not having um, Medicare for all. And we can talk about that because those are all things that the founders of Social Security proposed back in the 1930s. Um, we definitely should have them today. But those payments in particular are limited to people who have um, green cards, who are permanent residents here, who have Social Security numbers. So again, this is anecdotal, and I don't know if this is correct, but what I just heard the other day is that you know, your people are supposed to get, if you file jointly, you get double the payment. You get $2,400 if your income is low enough. I, I heard about, and again, I don't know if this is accurate, but um, what I was told was someone who filed, um, who had filed, um, the person who had filed was an American citizen, but but was married to an immigrant and didn't put a Social Security number down for the spouse. I don't know if they didn't have it or they just didn't put it down. But in any case, they don't even get $1,200. They get zero, um, which is so ridiculous. As I say, this pandemic and the way we've responded to it is really shining a spotlight on problems that have been simmering for a long time. And my hope is that when we get through this, um, we will get people in government or we will elect people who are sensitive to uh, really solving our problems. We had the Great Depression, which was a time when a crisis that upended the country, when there was massive unemployment, there was a lot of fear and panic. But out of that, we got we had a visionary leader, Franklin Roosevelt, who understood that we didn't want just to get through the current crisis, but to make sure that the next time we'd be better prepared. Imagine where we'd be today if we didn't have unemployment insurance, which was enacted by Franklin Roosevelt in 1935, Social Security, also that was part of the Social Security Act in 1935, or didn't have Medicare and Medicaid. And think where we would be if, as they had hoped we would have, we had universal guaranteed health care, we had paid family leave and paid sick leave. It's time to finish the job that was started in the 1930s and expand Social Security to increase the benefits and to add those important protections. Because of these, this pandemic and the way that it's been handling, or I guess you know, some could say mishandling, do you think that attitudes towards things like health care for all, the Green New Deal, do you think the attitudes for those things shifted in maybe a positive way? Well, it's interesting. I mean, all of a sudden, Maine said that uh, government um, is the enemy until you need a friend. And this is a moment when we see we need government. We need the federal government for testing, for making sure that we have what we need. And certainly Congress has just spent a huge amount of money and is planning to have another bill as well. And the Republicans, it was unanimous. So all the Republicans who would claim government's the problem and socialism and the deficit and all of that realized that government had to step in. And we'll see whether that changes the minds of voters. I'm confident that the conservatives 
once this is passed, will use the big run-up in the debt to go after our Social Security. That's what I'm afraid of. And speaking of some fears that people might have and that I've you know heard being percolated around is that this pandemic is being weaponized by governments and also special interest groups. And is that true as far as Social Security? Well, they've tried. There are a couple of pieces of good news here, and that is that as polarized as the American people are over many issues, we are not polarized about Social Security. Across the ideological spectrum, people support it. They believe it's more necessary than ever and would like to see it expanded. It also is structured to withstand exactly the kind of conditions we're going through now. It's got the trustees report. Every year there's a report from the Board of Trustees reporting to Congress and the American people the status of Social Security. And the latest report shows that it's strong. It's got a $2.9 trillion surplus. That is enough to get us through the pandemic we're going through, and benefits will continue to be paid on time. But under the guise of the pandemic, there are conservatives, including Donald Trump, who is trying to use the pandemic in a cynical attempt to further ideological goals. And one of them is to undermine Social Security. And Trump has has pushed and pushed and pushed for getting rid of Social Security's dedicated revenue. It's a kind of start of the beast that they've tried to cut the benefits. They can't do that. So they're saying, okay, well, let's take away the funding and then we'll have to cut the benefits. And we're fighting as hard as we can to prevent that from happening. Going back to some of the projects that you were doing with uh, social, at Social Security Works, what was uh, the main focus of the organization prior to the pandemic? The main focus was to expand benefits. The Democratic Party has, is strongly on board for expanding Social Security and making the wealthy pay their fair share so that benefits can be paid for the next 75 years and beyond. There are a number of bills that have been introduced in Congress, but a leading one was introduced by the chairman of the Social Security Subcommittee of the House Ways and Means Committee. It's called the Social Security 2100 Act because it does just what I said. It expands benefits and ensures that they can be paid through the year 2100 and beyond. Um, Before the pandemic, there were about five hearings in Congress. It was was set up and, and poised for there to be a vote. Um, on it in in the House, but of course everything now has has overtaken that. But that's what I hope the agenda that we get back to, because we are the wealthiest nation in the world. There's no question that we can expand Social Security so the benefits are higher um, and so that it includes paid family leave and paid sick leave. Um, And also we work on expanding Medicare um, improving it and expanding it. So the the question of whether we do that or not is is a question of values, not affordability. And we um, want the American people to see that, and because we're confident that the American people value um, Social Security and would like to see it expanded. In the age of social media and 24-hour news cycles and all of this, I think a lot of people may be exposed to some information that isn't accurate all the time. What are some misconceptions? One, one is 
that Social Security is in crisis and won't there be there for um, younger workers. The reality is that, as I say, Social Security is extremely conservatively structured. Um, it would take an act of Congress for there not to be benefits in the future because most benefits are the program is current funded. So most of the revenue comes from current workers. Um, and as long as people are working, Social Security will have revenue. There is a, a, a not surprising, completely unsurprising um, shortfall well out into the future. Congress should act to bring in more revenue, and the Democrats want to do that. They've been blocked by the Republicans, but they, they want to do that. Um, but it is a misconception to think that people will not get their benefits. I can guarantee to you that uh, this will be here for generations to come. Another misconception is that Social Security is only for retirement and um, older people, you know, so-called greedy geezers are just, you know, living on easy street and uh, just are, are, don't care, you know, the former Alan Simpson opponent of Social Security said they don't care a whit about their grandchildren. Obviously, that's, that is wrong. Um, most seniors are living just above the poverty line, they'd be within the po under poverty if it weren't for Social Security. And they are really fighting for their children and grandchildren to make sure those benefits remain. Those benefits are important for um, as you grow older um, and cease working, but they also, uh, one out of three beneficiaries of Social Security are receiving either disability benefits because Social Security already also provides disability insurance and life insurance survivors' benefits. So it's important to understand that even if you're 25 years old, um, your Social Security contributions are insuring you against you know, getting the pandemic, um, getting the um, COVID-19, and God forbid you have children and, and it, it, you pass away. Um, your children will get benefits uh, that will replace your wages or that you become so disabled that you can no longer work. Um, Social Security is there for you. What do you see the day after the pandemic? You know, I, I'm, my own attitude is the day after, we're going to have to shelter in place because there could be a second or third wave. Yeah. It's to, you know, I think even during this pandemic, um, there's an election that's going on, and it's very important for people who who care about Social Security and would like to see it expanded in the ways I suggested, who believe that um, health insurance should be a right for everyone, to ask those who are running for office, do they support expanding Social Security or cutting Social Security? We, we are very involved in the election. We have a PAC, and we take... We, you know, we're not working for one party or the other party. We send out questionnaires and we endorse the candidates that are in favor of expanding Social Security who understand that it's an earned right and that we've all paid for it. We have to protect it for expanding it and not cutting it. If listeners are, you know, interested in learning more or perhaps even, you know, helping out in some capacity, how can they do that? That would be terrific. They should go to our website, which is socialsecurityworks.com. 
all one word, socialsecurityworks.org. And they, we've got lots of information on our website. You can sign up and get regular emails from us that are telling you, for example, about the, um, these $1,200 payments and so forth to keep you informed. And if you can, join in the fight. And is the organization doing any type of, obviously, remote or virtual events or something, any kind of projects? That's a really interesting question. We just had, actually, a press conference that was online for people to see. We've got a Facebook page, which people can see, and it, it includes a number of progressives. It was Representative AOC, Ocasio-Cortez. It was Representative Tlaib, Omar, Pocan. There were a number of members who were speaking about what should be in the next congressional package that we put people first. We have press conferences from time to time. We issue fact sheets and we write blog posts. Check not only our website, but our Facebook page, um, Social Security Works. You'll see we do have videos and other ways to participate. You very quickly mentioned something about a next the next package that will be rolled out. Can you talk a little bit about that, if you have any kind of idea what that might look like? Yes. So, as you know, what just passed was called 3.5. Congress is really trying to keep up with what is going on. So, the first package was to get money for um, the Center for Disease Control, NIH, to produce tests and so forth. The next one, as the COVID-19 was was rampaging through, was to have paid sick leave, paid family leave. But then, of course, all the unemployment started, and that's when, and businesses started to close when we all when we really all started to shelter in place. So that was the third one, which was um, funding for small business. That 500 billion dollars, 500 billion dollars for the largest corporations, which I think, again, is the wrong priorities, and those um, emergency payments and increased unemployment insurance, that's where the money should have gone, and some money did, but not enough. The small business one ran out of money quickly. They just passed something. So there's still more work to be done, and what we're pushing for are regular automatic payments of $2,000, not $1,200, but $2,000, $1,000 for children, Every single month, not just a one-time thing, but every single month is what we're trying to get. Um, Senator Warren and Senator Wyden, with the support of former Vice President Joe Biden, are seeking, on top of that, $200 a month for Social Security beneficiaries. So that's what the progressives are seeking um, to achieve, and we will see what comes out of this package. I am doubtful the Republicans will go for that, but um, we've got to keep pushing. The $2,000 plan, what kind of like long-term repercussion will that have on Social Security? What would like opponents to that? Well, it would come from the general fund. And we just spent $500 billion, half a trillion dollars for um, big business. So let's give a little bit of that to the American people. <laughs> It is a it is a concern, and in fact, one of the things I, I stay up nights worrying about is that there'll be this bootstrap where the um, you know we've just had this massive tax decrease, a tax cut for everyone during the push by Trump and the his supporters, and that created a big hole 
in the federal budget. And now we're having these emergency spending, which, of course, has to go. So that is happening now, and that has to happen. But I'm concerned that once the day after, as you say, they will, um, Republicans will say, oh, my goodness, look at this big deficit. We're going to have to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, which is always what they want to cut. And so I do think there are dangers, but I think we have to do this spending now. Um, and we are doing it um, by borrowing money, which is the right way to do it. But instead of the money going to the wealthiest, to the largest corporations, increasing income and wealth inequality, let's send it to everyday Americans and reduce income and wealth inequality and get the money where it's needed the most. It it really blows my mind how this thing just got out of control so quickly and how so many people are suffering. But really what brings me this, you know, I'd say almost joy to my heart is all these grassroots organizations or, you know, people organizing and, you know, so thank you so much for your work and all the, you know, activists out there that are doing this type of work. Well, and thank you for for helping us get the word out. And I think hope is the right feeling to have because what I'm hopeful about, and I'm not, you know, it's it's um, high hopes, low expectations. But what my hope is that this will be a turning point in this country, and we will have the American people really finally stand up and say, we we must have guaranteed um, sick pay. We must have family pay. We must have guaranteed income. We have to raise the minimum wage and we have to expand Social Security's modest but vital benefits. I I see that happening more and more. And it's really interesting to see how the conversation has been shifting where um, I know growing up, you know, Social Security wasn't anything I was too worried about. But now I see a lot of young people worried about Social Security and really wanting to know how it works and wanting to expand it. So that's been an interesting shift also. And and so please, again, anyone who has that, go to socialsecurityworks.org um, and feel reassured the program, as long as we want the program to be there, the program will be there. It's about values, not affordability. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. This has been such an informative interview, and uh, thank you again so much for all of your work. And is there any kind of last words that you'd like to share? Uh, just again, and thank you so much for having me. But I, I, I think this is a moment, even though we're all sheltering at home, it's a kind of being separated but united at the same time. The American people have, when the American people stand together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And if I believe we all are for expanding all of the items I just said. And so people must get involved, make their voices heard. We've got an election coming up. It's an extremely important election. Somehow we have to make sure that we're able to vote and the vote comes out with people who share our values. Thank you. Thank you. It's almost hard to remember that there are an election coming up and but it's very important not not to forget that not to get uh too overwhelmed um because god willing you know tomorrow will come and november will eventually as well exactly (laughs) exactly well thank you so much Uh, it's been really again informative and i appreciate your time well thank you so much take care bye now bye-bye 
Thank you, Nancy Altman, for that interview. And thank you, the listener, for, well, listening. I hope that this interview was as informative for you as it was for me. And um, I surely do hope that that stimmy check comes in sooner than later. You know what I mean? Anyways, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me at populareducationradio at gmail.com. Or if you are a uh, hip youngster and you want to shout out or hit me up or just, you know, get in touch, you can do so via Instagram. The page name is Popular Education Radio. Anyways, that's all I've got for you right now. Some more stuff is definitely in the works. Don't forget this Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, I will be moderating a webinar about the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on Palestinians in both Israel, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank. I'm very, very excited about that, very excited about the panelists, and if you are interested in joining that webinar, you do have to register, and you can do that by emailing me, populareducationradio at gmail.com, and I'll send you the registration link. Thank you all so much. Have a great, great day. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye.